What's good, everybody? Welcome back to the Celtics Collective, brought to you by Heavy On Sports. I'm Adam Taylor, and to the right of me today, not the left, you know, we're not doing the Beyonce anymore. I've got Mr. Keith Smith. What's going on, Keith? I'm good, man. It's funny, because I guess in... Like if we flipped it, I'd be on on your your left if I'm looking at it. The mirror image, so it still all works. It's all good. We're here. That's all that matters. And we're here after a game one win. Celtics are one zero in the playoffs. So, you know, there's a, not, not, nothing wrong in our world today. I just want to put it out there that Joe Mazzula is now undefeated when coaching a playoff team. Truth. You know, it doesn't need not a big sample size, but undefeated. We yeah. undefeated. Sure. So we're gonna well, much like me in my high school soccer career, I scored a goal 30 seconds into my first game because I was in at striker and I charged the goalie when they played it back to him. He kicked it directly into my face and it went directly into the goal. And my coach <laughs> was like, You should retire now because it's never gonna get better or worse than that. So and, and did you retire? No, I kept playing. I played for <laughs> I tell you what, man. I've had some horror stories playing sports, but I've never had one where I scored accidentally on purpose with my face and then yeah, chose wasn't to continue. Good. Yeah, I I had kid. I had the uh, spec goggles, like Horace Grant too, that I wore when I played soccer and basketball. So yeah, it was a it was a sight. I was a uh, you know real, real real handsome looking guy out there on the uh, on the field or court. They were trendy uh, then, though, right? It's not like they. Yeah, I don't know, but nothing like that is cool when you're like 13 to 18 years old. <laughs> I look at Horace Grant now, and I'm like, dude, you were stylish. You know, yep. you were you were Billy Eilish out in out here. Yeah. But um, big T-shirt, Billy Eilish. Yeah, that's the one. I don't know the words, <laughs> but it's definitely the one. <laughs> that's as much as I know too. So we're gonna let's let's get back on the rails because <laughs> I don't know where we are, but we're not in basketball conversation <laughs> right now. I've watched the live viewers drop from like ten to one in this. Yeah, there we go. Perfect. Good. So now it can just be me and you chatting. Yeah, and now like that's when I feel more comfortable, Keith. I'm more comfortable. So <laughs> I want to start off with the, just this the Hawks defense, right? We came in knowing it was porous. We spoke about it on the on the preview that we did. We noted how Trey Young was going to be a turnstile. We, we just knew all of these different things was going to come to light. But you scroll through Twitter during the game, and I just want to shout out League Pass for not letting me start the game until it was halftime. Thank you for that. But you scroll through social media during the game, and it felt like so many people were shocked at just how bad Atlanta was, or around the country, just how good Boston's offense was. And this is going to be a question where your answer is just going to be both. But which one do you think kind of played a bigger part? Was Atlanta's defense just that bad or was Boston's offense just that good? Uh, Atlanta's defense, it's more that Atlanta's defense is that bad. But I thought the Celtics process was really good throughout the game. I thought they did a really good job of not never settling. They were on the attack the entire time whether it was to get all the way to the rim, which Tatum and Brown seemingly did whenever they wanted, or to get into the paint for those kickout passes, for those uh, setups for wide open shots. There was very little uh, no pass possessions. Those were all almost solely on in transition, which those are okay in transition, right? Because you're, the idea is you're getting it up quick and getting right into to to the to your shot. Um, there were only a handful of one pass possessions too, where you know they 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 brought it down, maybe ran one action and made a pass. And a couple of those were like, well, it was one pass because it finished with a lob or you know a back cut for a layup or whatever it was. So I thought their Boston's process was really good, but I think this was mostly about them taking advantage of a very bad Hawks defense. 
It also felt to me like they were definitely taking advantage of a lack of wing defense. They were running yeah. a lot of uh, stagger actions exactly. on both sides of the floor, um, a lot of pin downs. And there was just no one. And we said this on the preview as well. And we're, I think we're going to speak about it relentlessly for the next week or so. There was just no one that could rotate over to help. The, you know, I felt like at times when there was someone rolling off one of those screens that the John Collins was being overmatched as the tag man and Okongwu or Capella were just too slow to get back in time to kind of really offer any form of rim protection other than like rear view protection. And the Celtics just took advantage by upping the pace in the first half. Mm -hmm. Now, obviously, the second half was a completely different story because the Celtics took their foot off the gas a little bit. The Hawks actually found a little bit of a sense of pride. It felt like they weren't playing better. They just had a bit more pride in what they were trying to do. Uh, and then things just kind of ground their way through Boston. I'd say, I wouldn't say slumped, but they definitely dragged their feet towards the finish line. And after the game, DeJounte Murray said, hey, we need to use that second half performance, take it into game two, and that should be our momentum. I just want to get your take, because when I heard him say that, I was like, that's a very fair point, and no one can discredit that argument. But the Celtics took their foot off the gas just as much as you guys upped your intensity. So when those two things level out, you're right back in the same spot you was to begin the game. Yeah, it's just it's very hard in the NBA to hold a 30-plus point lead at 30-plus points because it's just natural. You're not going to go quite as hard. And Boston played a lot slower in the second half than they did in the first half. First half, it was get it and go. And it didn't matter who it was. You know, whoever rebounded, it was – and that's one of the beauties of the non-Rob Williams starting lineup groups or what they're starting right now with Horford, Tatum, Brown, White, and Smart. It's just go. Whoever gets it, go. Like you can initiate and bring it up. Rob's, you know, he's never gonna really be that guy. And we we saw the one disaster where they passed it to him in the middle of the lane on a break, and you know, he just made a complete mess of it uh, there. So and and I'm picking on him a little bit because that was probably the only negative thing he did. It felt like all game long. But it is um I, I think for the Celtics, it really hit a point where you know. In the second half, you're just not going to push as hard. It's just, it's just it's just instinct, right? You're, you you get a team down 30. The instinct is not, let's try to beat them by 60. Those things happen sometimes, right? Where you'll, you just can do no wrong, right? You can't miss. You, you know, every shot you throw up goes in. The other team can't make a shot. And sometimes that happens. But in this case, you know, if you get to the playoffs, you're at least a decent team. And that's where we are with Atlanta. They're a decent team. But I think the reality is there's just too much of a gap. Now, Murray's not wrong in that if they play a little harder, they play a little more pressed up at the level of the ball on the perimeter and really kind of get into the Celtics ball handlers, they can create some turnovers. We know Boston's you know, prone to some sloppiness for sure. But I think it is more of a situation where it is let's not be too um, – Let's not think like they found real solves for what ailed them throughout the course of the game, because that's not really what happened. Sorry, I'm dealing with a dog that's trying to bite me at the same time as talking. I want to put you point out on Robin. I kind of that isn't a point that I've touched on here, but you did say something that really stuck out to me. You could probably hear him barking under the table. I do uh, apologize. Um, one of the things you pointed out was that one play was pretty much the only bad thing he did all game. Yeah. And yep. when you look at everything else that he did, the impact he had wow. as a role man, the impact he had, come here, the impact he had as a screener, as a rebounder, it's just really interesting for what he's able to do when he's fully healthy. 
Big time. Yeah, big time, big time. He is his just being there near the rim on defense, even if he's not actively going after block shots or actively going after, you know, drivers or anything like that, just his presence there lifts the defense to a whole other level. It also, I think, whether it's consciously or subconsciously, the guys on the perimeter, they're a little bit more willing to go for a steal or go for a deflection because, well, Rob will help clean it up. If, you know, if it gets through and the guy gets behind me, Rob's back there kind of just lurking and hanging out to do his thing. And then his, you know, just being a rim threat and you know on the other end of the floor just as a dimension they don't have when they don't have him because nobody else can replace it yeah luke cornett catches the occasional lob but it's not like rob right where like it feels like when everything's going well for the celtics it feels like they're almost having an in-game who can throw it higher kind of contest to see if rob can go up and get it and it's like then sometimes that turns into ridiculous turnovers. But in this one, it was, I caught cut out in the takeaways for Celtics blogs or Celtics blog, four different lobs um, where it was lob plays to Rob. And then there were two, his other two baskets came off Brogdon driving dishes where he drove and then just kind of left it for him. So, you know, just his impact around the rim on both ends of the floor, absolutely tremendous. And something you called up before the series, his facilitation ability from the top of the key. I think he only had a couple of assists in the game. If I'm right, yeah, he had two assists, but it's just the threat of him out there as a passer and some of the things he can do out there too. It's just, he brings a completely different dimension to the Celtics offense that they don't have when he's not in the game. And I also think like, look, when you talk about Marcus Smart had his best defensive game of the, of the season, I think this was Rob's best rim protecting game of mm-hmm. the season. And that facilitation from the top of the key doesn't always necessarily I like what Tom Thibodeau said after the Knicks game when he spoke about Josh Hart being a playmaker. And I I definitely see this more Derek White than Robert Williams, but it's not so much creating for others. It's coming up with the play that your team needs, the big rebound, the big block, the big steal. And the Celtics have a bunch of these play like Tom Thibodeau playmakers that do what needs to be done in that moment. And this was one of those games for Rob where he really kind of dominated in every way that Boston needed him to, when they needed him to be a roller, he did. When they needed the rim runner, that's what he was. And that evolution shows you now that, hey, when healthy, he's going to be just as impactful as a Derek White or a Malcolm Brogdon. But the problem is, can he stay healthy? And that's going to be a conversation that hopefully we don't have to have this uh, this offseason. But what I do want to do is I want to lead that into the Derek White conversation as I think this was argu- he was arguably the best player on the floor throughout the full game. I think he performed ridiculously well on offense, defense. I like the subplot of him going up against Murray, two former Spurs teammates facing off in the postseason. And I think he had the better of Murray every time he was switched on to him. I don't think there was many possessions where I thought Derek White made a bad decision or got beat off the dribble. Uh, To me, arguably, he was the best player for the Celtics down the last three or four games of the regular season going in. And now that trade that so many people thought was a bad trade for Brad Stevens looks like a masterstroke. Yeah, I mean, it, I've said my piece on this a million different places and outlets and in ways. It was never a bad trade. It was it was always a good trade. Derek White is really, really good. And you know, when they got into a spot of we really want him, you know, that was just something where it was like, yeah, they like 
you know, Brad Stevens said what it was like years they had been kind of looking at trying to how they could get Derek White. And then they finally did. So I think to your point in this game, I I'm it's him, Tatum, Brown, like, you know, pick pick one of the three. It's fine. We're, you know, I think they were the three best players on the floor. I think Tatum and Brown, you know, just it just stands out a little bit more sometimes because it's a little more flashy the way they do it. But I think with white, yeah, just super steady. And I loved him. Trey young dies on screens. And if they're going to try to put Trey young on Derek white, Derek white needs to continue to be aggressive with the pull-up jump shot. If he's going to take those pull-up threes behind those screens, great. Keep taking them. I don't care if game two, if he misses his first five, take the next five doesn't matter just keep shooting them when they're good shots and just you know i mean he really you know kind of took it right to him and that's you what happens with atlanta is you start to run out of options and you could already see it in game one i don't know how many other ways we can defend probably their next thing i don't know if you break it out in game two but definitely by the time the series transitions to atlanta if the celtics win game two is going to be just going more to Collins at the five and trying to play smaller and just hoping for the best that way because they don't have a good uh, game plan to match what Boston can do. Uh, any position, though? It's not just at yeah. the guard position. It's yeah, just always. everywhere. You yeah. mentioned Derek White's pulling up off screens, and I wrote about this earlier, so I'm just pulling up the stats that I pulled because, you know, I put the work in. Why not pull the stats up? <laughs> there it is. So I'm just – this is perfect podcasting. So he's took 20.3% of his shots this season have been off the pull-up. He's shooting 53% from two, 35% from three. So above league average from two – uh, around about league average from deep. If he's going to come off those Al Horford screens, those Rob Williams screens, and then he's in space and he pulls up, I'm completely all there for that because throughout the season, he's shown a body of work that shows his three-point jumper has improved. I tweeted this out yesterday saying Ben Sullivan deserves a ton of credit for the work he's put in with Derek White. Um, he came into Boston known as like a shot fixer and now he's he's spent that time with White. White's put that work in. And now his three-point shot is a genuine weapon. What's impressed me the most is we come into the season expecting Malcolm Brogdon to be a huge difference maker. And this is no respect to Brogdon. White has been everything we expected Brogdon to be and a bit more. And then you can go to Malcolm Brogdon. So, again, it's running out of ideas, running out of options. You only The Hawks only have so many guards. Outside of Murray, none of them are really defensively sound. And you're coming up against a three-headed monster that as soon as one sits, another one comes in, and they're all going to hurt you in different ways. I just don't know how you scheme for that because once you scheme for those three, you open up for Jalen Brown or for Jason yeah. Tater. And if not, you're opening up for Robert Williams. We still was a lovely pick-and-pop sequence. I think it was in the second or third quarter where it was like a... So I, can't, I think Malcolm Brogdon had it at the top of the wing... Pat Jason Tatum set a, a flare screen for Horford and then boom, pick Horford just pops out, gets to free from the wing. And it's just like, you see John Collins sprinting out, trying to cover him. And there's just nothing he could do because he's tagging the role of a Grant Williams, well, of Robert Williams. Grant didn't play. We'll get to that in a moment. It was just so impressive. But all the way through, it's just like, until we get to a, a Sixers or a Bucks, this is, the Celtics are just going to look like gods. It's going to look like we went back 200 years with smartphones and look like we came down from the heavens. Because the, to the Hawks, this is an alien brand of basketball. that they're, they're more than two or three levels below where Boston are right now. And there's no disrespect there. You know, they've got a new coach. They're in the, 
They've, there's talks that they, they're in consideration for mo- maybe even rebuilding without Trey. They're just not where they need to be to compete at, a, at the level that you need to be against a team like the Celtics at the moment. Yeah, I thought John Collins looked like a fish out of water in this because he started the game on Jalen Brown. And that's not, you know, Boston was, I thought the best thing with Tatum and Brown was they played a little bit like Derek White with the point five decision-making. It was in their hands and they were gone. Like it was either the ball is off, a jump shot is up, or I am going right to the basket. And more often than not, it was the, the last one there. It was just, I'm going to go right right by you. And then Brown, when he got Collins in space, I it may not be a bigger John Collins fan on the planet than me. I love him. He's one of my favorite players. But he's just, he's not, he can't defend high level wings. That's not what he is. And, and the other thing is the Celtics got away with, I know we're going to talk about it later, but they got away with playing a little bit smaller because they held up. Like that's the difference. You know, they, the Hawks just can't punish them because their offense isn't designed around that. Their bigs are not those kind of bigs where it's just dump it into them inside and, you know, just dominate them at the rim like that. That's just not how it goes. So, yeah, I just, the more I look at it, and I love what you said is, you know, it's like, all right, you know, White's going to the bench. Oh, great. Here's Malcolm Brogdon. <laughs> it's like, I don't, like, it's just got to be so frustrating for defenders and, and even for the other coach of like, or right, we finally took this guy off the floor. And it's like, here comes the other guy who's, you know what? He's just as good. Like, and he does, you know, things, some of the same things, some different things and all that. So, and I also thought White had a very good defensive night too. He was the primary defender on Trey Young most of the night. I thought he did a really good job. Um, really hounding young over screens. Um, the Celtics kind of tried to, they kind of tried to split the difference a little bit with, you know, all right, we're going to keep the big high, but we're also going to, you know, take one step off, but it's because you trust white and then smart when he was in the game to get over the screen and rear contest and do all those things that it's going to be to bother young. And I mean, right. It was like first minute of the game, young caught it on the wing, thought he had white beat and went up for a layup and white just, took it right off the glass and was like, see you later, man. Like you, you, you know, and then it was like, all right, that's how this is, series is going to go. You could just tell very, very early on that this was just, it was just going to be a, a rollover. So, and there's no reason it shouldn't continue to be that way. And you just mentioned like, so the just before you got into the point about the way white played defensively, I liked how you kind of spoke about the bigs and how Atlanta's bigs aren't the same as what Boston's bigs are very much bigs in the traditional sense rim running low post guys so i wanted to touch on something that we we kind of spoke about yesterday where Mm -hmm. and this kind of ties into that defense a little bit from the guards because you did have as you said guys like Derek white marcus smart got some blocks down low he also got some rebounds Derek white crashed the boards where he could but the celtics ended with a free throw advantage uh, sorry a, a rebound advantage but they did lose in the offensive on the offensive boards i think they lost by two Thing. Um, so I just wanted to get your thoughts. I know this was something you kind of said, like, "Hey, the rebounding wasn't as bad as it looked." So I just wanted to get you see how, you, like, what you saw there and how you came away feeling about that. I think there's two things. One, if you didn't watch the game and you just looked at the box score, you're like, "Man, Atlanta got you know he he got uh they they got 14 offensive boards. Like that's bad, right? The Celtics must not have held up." And if you watch the game, there was moments where, I mean, I think they had possession where they grabbed like three on one possession and then Horford finally cleared it and then got fouled. And then he was, he was fired up and got the crowd going and everything. But I think 
let's get into a little bit more context here, right? Atlanta got 14 offensive rebounds, but they missed 60 shots in the game. 60. Like that is an incredibly large number. Like I don't, I don't know if people realize, you know, that's a lot. They get up a hundred shot, 98 shots for the game. And to miss 60 of them, I mean, they shot terribly. Shot terribly from three, a little bit better from two, but still weren't really good from two either. Um, so that's where the Celtics rebound rate, defensive rebound rate ticked below where it was in the regular season against a team like Atlanta. I'm not going to stress about that. The other important thing, 14 second chances. They scored 12 total second chance points. So just, you know, Celtics held in there, right? It was, all right, they might have gave up one, but they didn't let them score on the second one. So that's that's the thing. You know, at no point was it one of those games where I felt like, man, boss is just getting murdered on the glass. And I'll be honest, that feeling has not been around much this entire year, which is where the stats meet the eye test, right? They're the best defensive rebounding team in the league. And it does feel like as you watch these games throughout the course of the year, yeah, that makes sense to me because it feels like they more often than not take care of their own, own backboard. I also want to point out that at no point did any of those rebounds feel like a momentum killer. No. As you, as you said, it hasn't felt like they've been destroyed on the glass really this year. There's been times where it's felt a little bit kind of like, man, we could really use a, a true rebounder. But for the most part, the Celtics have been quite good uh, defensively this year. But there was when you're playing against the Hawks and they're grabbing those offensive boards, there wasn't a moment where I was like, man, their body language, the Celtics' body language has changed. It mm-hmm. wasn't a... Hey, we need. We've missed this rebound. Now they've caught a second one. Now there's an issue. They, as you said, they weren't making. If they missed that second chance point, there wasn't a third chance. There wasn't a fourth chance. And then you look at the big rotation that was in there, and you can understand that even if you do grab that offensive board, there's so much size and length around you that it's not going to be easy to get that put back. Unless you're going up and literally dunking it back on a tip in. You, the Celtics are going to find a way to really close out and you take that airspace away and then force you into working. So I, I'm with you. I think that the context that you provided, like I didn't even realize they'd missed 60 shots. But when you pull it like that, it's like, what? so they caught, so for every four misses, they got one offensive rebound. Yeah. You'll and live with that. Yep. Celtics defensive rebound rate during the regular season was something like 78%. And this game was like 76 Percent. Yeah. So that's just, you know, that's a matter of one rebound going the other way. Last thing I'll say on the rebounding, because I know we've got other stuff to get into. Derek White, Marcus Smart, Malcolm Brogdon combined for 17 rebounds. Huge, right? They were all over the board. Now, some of that's a volume thing again, right? A lot of rebounds available. You know, nobody, nobody on Boston went up and got 20 of them themselves. So everybody, you know, kind of ate, but if the guards are back and they're doing their thing. It's just not going to hurt you the way, the way like we saw the Hawks destroy Miami uh, in the playing game with, with those putbacks. And yeah, and this is like just to add some context to what I said a second ago, it's not like we've seen the Celtics struggle on the glass much this year Mm -hmm. the only time they did is when they went through that really bad stretch on that west coast run and then they kind of like stumbled back into some home games and during that run it did feel like hey maybe they're shooting i remember looking thinking hassan whiteside might do well for this team right now because they're just (laughs) giving up boards everywhere but it was a really small stretch of games and other than that like 78 percent defensive um, rebound rate for the regular season uh, I don't know where that stands in the grand in, in the percentiles, but I'm assuming that's like a top ten percentile. Yeah, it, I mean it's in turn that's about where usually the best rebounding team in the league is usually at. 
is right around there. So it's not like they were historically dominant rebounding team or anything, but it, reliable. A, yeah, they, they're they were just good, right? They were average, good rebounding team to, to lead the league you know, on the defense board. The one bugaboo is <laughs> they do give up late game offensive rebounds more than yeah. I'm comfortable with. And I think a lot of that is they tend to too often, and this is, I'll put this on Tatum and Brown more than anybody else. They, they leak out a little yeah. too often late. And I would always in the game crash back, get the ball, then get into whatever you're going to run, but it's chicken or the egg there. Right. Because then everybody crashes back. Well, then you're going to walk it up and get into some stupid ISO that we all hate that takes 20 seconds off the shot clock to take a contested jumper. So, you know, it's, it's, you know, hit or miss. You can go either way, but yeah, it's a, you know, I, I, I think in general, you know, that they, they were in pretty good, good place with that. Yeah. I feel like, you know, at the end of the day, um, if you're leaking out and you're, 10 points it's a less than a 10 point lead by all means leak out because you might get they might might score two you might get three now it's an 11 point lead you know how the math works so talking of math i wanted to build in this segue and it's never as good when i point it out but i like to pat myself on the back as well done. we had the joe, joe missoula versus quinn schneider matchup and this is something that you did a really good job of breaking down i hadn't considered it from that viewpoint last in the last episode for anybody listening or watching live, um, Keith basically put it out there that like, yep, Joe Mazzulla's coming in with a, a playoff experience disadvantage, but Quinn Snyder's coming in with an, a, a team disadvantage. He's only been there for 25, 26 games. He doesn't even know what he's got under the hood yet. His system hasn't been worked on enough to be integrated into muscle memory and second nature. So we see these two coaches coming in, both with their own kind of issues that they're working through. And it felt like Missoula won this coaching battle. He made quick decisions. He called timeouts. He was pulling guys when he thought they weren't matching up correctly or that, you know, their their defender was getting the best of them. He switched up schemes quite frequently. And he really walked that fine line of when to call a play and when to let somebody on the floor dictate how it went. Because sometimes the read and react is better than just running that same, same, same. So I thought that Missoula, arguably, again, we've said it was Marcus Smart's best defensive game, Rob Williams' best rim-protecting game. This was probably one of Joe Missoula's best coaching games of the season so far. I thought uh, his ATOs were pretty good. I thought his um, sideline and baseline out of bounds, so slob and blob. If anybody ever wonders, because Adam and I will use those when we write a lot, slob and blob, that's all it means is sideline out of bounds or baseline out of bounds. Those were good. I think the Celtics scored on either two or three of those plays in the game. One was just gorgeous play design where it was everything was set up to look like Tatum was popping out for a three. It was really designed to just get Rob on the roll. That clip is in the takeaways uh, over on Celtics blog. If anybody wants to read it, it's um yeah. I mean, just that, that just, you know, was just perfect. I mean, Tatum was like an NFL quarterback where he just threw it to where he knew Rob would be, right? And wasn't even there. Rob hadn't even fully started his role before Tatum threw it up. Um, yeah, I thought those were all really good. I thought with Sam Hauser, he, I think he's starting to recognize the way how if Hauser misses a couple shots kind of badly um, when he first gets out there, he probably doesn't have it. And he only played 11 minutes. He went. I would have liked to see 
Darius Blotchy could have worked Grant Williams in here. I don't love, you know, let's let's not put too many minutes on guys already. You know, Tatum was at basically 40, Horford 38, White 38 and a half. Like, but it's the playoffs. I kind of get it. I know we're going to get into the Hauser Williams conversation too. But yeah, I thought Missoula all around coached a really nice game. I thought he did a good job kind of controlling things. The other thing I thought was cool is even when things got a little I don't, I don't even want to say dicey because it never got there. Things got kind of a little sloppy. He didn't revert into, and it's still, they have this card left in the deck to play it or in their hand, I guess, to play. They didn't go to, all right, let's just hunt Trey Young then. They never, they never did. They just kind of, it, it happened naturally a handful of times, but for the most part it was, eh, we're going to leave that one, you know, kind of, leave that up in the cupboard and if we need to take it down well we'll we'll take it down and get into it if we need to but they never did it you know directly where it was all right bring small small pick and rolls or whatever to make sure we're getting trey young on brown or tatum it happened a handful of times throughout the game but for the most part it was let's just run our stuff and let, let's just kind of kind of do our thing and that was that that was really big i think you know for the celtics to be able to do what they did offensively to go all the way back to the start of the show a lot because the Hawks just kind of let them, but it was, you know, it's uh, you know, they, 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 they still have plenty of things they can uh, go to that we didn't see as well. And I thought that was good from Missoula rather than sometimes you'll see first time coaches are, Hey, let's, let's, let, let me really empty my playbook here and show you all the great things. You know, I came up with, with the week to prepare and it's like, ah, eh, we can hold some stuff in reserve. We're getting other things so easily done. I like the way that, you know, not going at Trey Young is kind of going against expectations as well. Yeah. It, it, it is a, a misdirection. Like you're coming into the game, right? They're going to hunt Trey. They're gonna, you've prepared for it. You've game planned for it. Boom, it's not happened once. And now all of that time you spent planning for that is wasted in this in this game. It's probably not going to be wasted in this series, but I would expect the Celtics to pull that off that shelf if they were chasing a game, if they're down five with three minutes left. That's when I think that John Mazzula goes to his we're going to punish Trey Young kind of actions. And then yep. the question is, then does Snyder leave him on the floor? Does he pull him off the floor? That's a completely different scenario we can look into. As for the ATOs, I re- well, the, the, the slubs mainly, I really like them. The one you mentioned, what interested me about that one, and I, um, I really liked it, was about three possessions earlier, the Celtics had run the same thing, but Tatum had scored a three. So it was a stagger a stagger screen on the on the. Uh, was it on the strong side? side? On the weak side. Yeah. yeah, on the weak side, Tatum curled off, got the ball at the top of the perimeter, hit nailed the three. Then you go to the sideline out of bounds, they run a motion strong, so it's two reverse passes, then the weak side stagger. But then this time, Rob cuts, and now all of a sudden, he's dragging defenders with him, Tatum's open, everyone scrambles, boom, over the top into the lob. And this felt like a game where Rob just was bouncy again, you know? Like mm-hmm. it, Yeah, Rob. was like... Yeah, I always say these games are when Rob looks like Rob, like all caps R O B, right? Like it's like Rob looks like Rob, and when Rob looks like all caps Rob, they're they're the best team in the league, and it's not even close. Like that's he's that big of a ceiling raiser while also not doing anything to lower the floor at all. Like it's you know they're 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 just that good. Last thing I'll say on just kind of Missoula stuff, I thought they did a really good job when the Hawks went to. DeJounte Murray on Tatum, 
not just saying, all right, let's play Tatum out on the perimeter. Because Murray can give Tatum trouble there. The, those are still kind of the guys that Tatum has a little bit of trouble with on the perimeter. Those quick guards who have quick hands. Because his, his handle's much, much better, but it's still not super tight. But they went to, all right, we're going to get Tatum on duck-ins. We, they went to one straight post-up with Tatum on, on Murray. Uh, they had another one where it was like, they, they kind of ran everything on the strong side, then a quick reversal to get Tatum on the weak side against Murray with no help could come. And it was just, it was really good stuff. And you could see it was, it was, you could see if you watch and you watch back on the clips, you could see Missoula calling it out. So it wasn't just the players getting it, but then also the players getting, all right, this is what he wants very quickly and flowing into it. You can, you can now see that the core group of, you know, core of this group, have been together for hundreds upon hundreds of games now because they just flow into stuff very easily at times versus, all right, what's coach want? And then guys are kind of pointing to three other guys where to go. It's just, all right, this is what he wants. Let's get into it. And I thought that was really good too. I want to point out with that, with players listening to what the coach wants and flowing into it quickly, that's buying. That's not only having an understanding between all of you as, as a unit, but also buying into what the coach wants, having faith in the scheme that he's running and in what he's asking of you. And then, I, like, the other day I spoke with Chris Forsberg on a pre, pre-game one, and he was telling me how Joe Mazzula's got Malcolm Brogdon drinking bone broth in the start of every day. <laughs> and I'm just like, what? But it's that type of buy-in that's really helping everybody. Like, the players are flowing into things quickly. Mazzula feels empowered to keep drawing up new plays and new actions because he knows the guys are going to execute what he puts out there. Quinn Snyder's got a bit a long road ahead of him to even get to a point where players are flowing into what he wants quickly, never mind listening and adapting on the fly when he's trying to change course in the middle of a game because it's just so late in the season for him to have taken over. Yeah. I don't think anybody expected them to make the postseason. Obviously, you speak about it outside, but behind closed doors, people are probably like, should we tank for Wemby? Because, you know, everybody wants to tank for Wemby. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah, want to touch on the... Oh, I'm when, talking when, of... when you're throwing down put back dunks off your own missed three pointer, like I'm a, like I'd tank for him too. I might even argue the Celtics shouldn't have thrown it all away. <laughs> Lost what, for Wemby. Yeah, why not? I mean, right? so, I mean at this point I'm being very just so everybody realizes I'm being very silly. I, I don't truly at this point Dakota from Braintree on Twitter is having a field day because Hatchimora had a good game and he <laughs> thinks that everybody should have traded Tatum for Hatchimora. Yeah, I don't am I my struggle with the Hachimura stuff is because I, I tweeted something yesterday, like, man, I didn't have this on my bingo card. And a bunch of people are like, oh, he's always been this guy. No, he hasn't been. If he was always <laughs> this guy, the Wizards would be really good and they wouldn't have traded him for two second round picks, like in Kendrick Nunn. Like, so just stop. Like, that's like, that's a. And nothing drives me more crazy than he's always been this guy. No, he hasn't been. He was, he's, good and he had a good year two years ago had a really nice under the radar season when everybody had stopped watching washington and he was playing really really well and people didn't get it but come on we can't say these guys you know there's always been this guy if he was he wouldn't be he'd be sitting on a max deal already so sorry that was just I, I had no, yeah. and i think it's a really good indicator that surrounding talent matters yeah. Like the, the players that you play around make a huge difference. I remember I said something to someone a few years back when it was um Bobby Portis, and I was like, man, Bobby Portis is having a great year for Milwaukee. They were like, 
well, it helps when Giannis is next to you. I'm like, yeah, well, blatantly, but you still need to produce yourself when you're surrounded by yes. that talent and accept that role. And yeah. I think so it can be a double-edged sword when you say that because you can be like, man, now he's got talent around him. We're seeing the best of him. Then someone else will be like, well, you're always going to look good when you got AD and Brian. Yeah, but if you don't perform in that role, you're not going to look good. So it's yeah. a double-edged sword. We're going far too far off the rail. So I'm yeah, going to pull yeah. it back. <laughs> and because we've just turned over, we turned it over ourselves well, during man. the conversation, we can look at turnovers. So the Celtics had a lot. What was it, 16 turnovers? More than that. Uh, right? so they had 16, and then I think they had a couple of shot clock violations. Yeah. So it was, but um, those were intentional at the end of the game. Now, I will say this. When you play at pace, you have turnovers. That's yeah. just the way it works. The Warriors turn the ball over a ton because they play fast. Now, some of these were sloppy. Some some of them were just trying to get the ball out of your hands without understanding the situation around you. Dejounte uh, Murray was a pest. He was pesky through the night. But some of them were, you know, credit to Atlanta defense. They did a good job of reading where the ball was going, anticipating what the Celtics were trying to do. I'm not too concerned about the turnovers. I, I g- genuinely look at them as a byproduct, byproduct of pace. I want to have a look at the minute to see how many were in the first half versus the second and see if my theory stands It's almost up. split, even. Was it? it was 8-8. Eight, eight. Okay, so I'm going to say the first eight were because they were playing fast. The second eight was because they were playing too slow. And then I'm going to win either way. Yeah, um, no, well, and I, and I, hey, honestly, I know you're kind of trying to you know, cover there, but I think that's actually what it was. I think in the first half it was – because the first half – I. It might have been. No, it wasn't in the first half. It was the one where the one we talked about already, where they threw it to Rob in the middle of the floor. Like, that's just a bad decision no matter what. Like, he's not going to do anything good with it in the middle of the floor where he's got to take multiple dribbles and find somebody. So that was a mess. Um, everybody had two, except for Tatum had six. and or, uh, Brown, rather, had six. The Brown ones I'm a little worried about just because it looked like where the cut on his hand was was bothering him more passing than it was shooting and, and even dribbling the ball. He had a couple missed dribbles in there, and that's every game Tatum and Brown are going to have a couple mishandles, and they're going to kick it away, and the other team's going to get it. I think a couple things were until the sec the first half ones, they basically threw it away and then shut everything down. They didn't let the Hawks get out and running. Second half ones, Atlanta had, I think they had like four pick sixes where it was just something to get it at the top of the key and I'm off to the races to, to score. And that's where it started to get a little like, wait, is this how this is going to go? And then Boston got it back under control and really kept them at arm's length the entire game. But it was, I think for me, it was, yeah, just, you know, that sloppiness. I mean, Al Horford had one that like, we probably won't see another one like this again in the playoffs where he got it at the top of the key, just had no idea where Bogdanovich was. And he just poked it away from him from behind and then got a run out layup. Like, you know, it's, I don't know. I'm not, I didn't leave there being like, oh man, they were super messy again. You know, with that mostly because then they got it back under control and took care of the game. So yeah, it is what it is. Yeah, I'm not going to spend too much time on the turnovers because, I, but it was definitely something we needed to point out sure. because uh-huh. someone would be like, "How can you talk about the Celtics game if you didn't yeah. talk about the turnovers?" Well, we did now, so leave it. Yep. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so we can move on to the final topic, which you already kind of touched on, and you know, I don't think the amount we spoke about this coming into the series, I don't think there's much here, much meat on the bone. I'd like to say that 
just because Grant didn't play in game one doesn't mean he won't play in two, three, four, or potentially five. There won't be a six or a seven if the basketball gods are having a good day. But on the flip side, even like, so here's my concern, right? Grant, say Grant Williams sits this series. It's a better matchup for Sam Hauser. The the way the Celtics want to play the pace and the screening actions and the, the mobility they need, it just doesn't suit what Grant brings. But then you throw him in after arguably what would that be then three or four weeks of not playing competitive basketball? Yeah, probably probably about two ish. And now you're like, hey, now you're going to guard Tobias Harris, Joel Embiid, and we're expecting you to be the Grant from last year. But you're completely and utterly out of rhythm. That feels unfair. That feels to me like you're kind of setting him up to fail. And I understand this. Well, you know, you should stay ready and you've got to be ready. Staying ready and being ready are completely different when you're guarding some of the best in the league. And I just feel like we, we will likely see Grant throughout sporadically throughout this series for that reason, if only that reason, just to keep that rhythm going for him. Yeah, at no point did Boston need or want to go to a um, second big if it wasn't Robin Al, and they played Robin Al, I haven't checked the exact numbers, but it's that felt like it was very few minutes together. Um, you know, they, they, let's see, Rob played 21 minutes, Al played 38. So yeah, there was probably, you know, there's obviously then some overlap, but probably about eight total minutes, but it felt like the Celtics goal was let's play small most of the time against the Hawks, because that's the best way to attack them is like we talked about it. Then you put John Collins on an Island and now it's like, what is, you know, what's he going to do? When they, when they flipped it and a Kongwu came in, a Kongwu ended up a little bit on the island and Collins was up on uh, Rob, who's going to hang out obviously closer to the basket. So it just got very, very, I think, flow of the game was there just wasn't a spot in this one. Now I think what we'll see is there's going to be a game where Horford or Rob's going to pick up foul trouble or, Tatum or Brown will, and they're going to have to play a little bigger just because, you know, the, the smaller options aren't going to hold up quite as much as you want. So, so th- there's going to be time for Grant here. I'm not as worried about him with the whole, you know, stay ready. So you don't have to get ready. All that stuff people say, because I think he'll step in and do what he does defensively whenever he's called upon. I think where I do worry is you can't just expect him to come in and just start hitting threes right away. I think he's a rhythm guy. I think he's at his best when he plays consistently, he gets consistent shots and he's you know able to, to knock them down. Like we saw in last year's playoffs and early in this regular season. So, you know, but for the most part, I'm not too worried about it. And, and, I saw some people speculating, you know, because people just can't be happy and they, everything has to be a conspiracy. Of, there's something nefarious between Grant and Joe Missoula or Grant and the organization. I don't think it's that. I think it's just, you know, this just, this wasn't the game and wasn't necessarily, isn't the series for him. So let's, you know, let's just be smart about how we handle this moving forward. But yeah, yeah. overall, I think it's fine. You're not going to win either, right? You play him and he gets cooked. Yeah. Oh, why did Joe play Grant? Joe should have played Hauser. There's something nefarious between Joe and Sam. Like, yeah. there's never you, you can never please everybody. Uh, I think for me, it just makes sense. For I do agree that Williams is definitely a rhythm shooter. I feel like that's the same issue Pritchard has dealt with all season. Uh, but I will. I do also think that there's something to be said about, and we like. I'm happy to kind of have a bit of a different opinion with you here. I do think there's something to be said about consistency giving you a little bit more feel defensively. I just, I wouldn't like to be asked to go and write. So if I haven't written for a year or four weeks and then someone's like, ah, do you want to write this article for ESPN? I want to be like, no, 
like that's a big audience and I'm completely out of practice. I'm gonna write stupid words. So I feel like Grant definitely might need rhythm defensively. Uh but other than that, I, I'm not upset that he didn't play. I don't think he's gonna feel any way. Sure, his free agency value might have a little bit of performance related tie-in, but you know, he's gonna get paid either way, whether it's what he wants to get paid or sure. slightly below. I'm not too worried. I'm gonna end it with this. Celtics Hawks on Tuesday. Do the Celtics go 2 0 up? Yeah, yeah. I, I I would be shocked if they're not headed to Atlanta up 2 0. And I, I think we're gonna see more of the same in, in yeah. Tuesday's game. I, I think they're gonna again race out. Atlanta will shoot a little bit better. Um, you know, than they did, of course. You know, did but Boston did it's like Boston had a you know absolutely ridiculous shooting night. They they were at 40% from three. I wouldn't be surprised if Celtics get more threes up in this game, but I don't all of a sudden see the Hawks providing a ton of resistance driving to the basket. So maybe that's not necessarily the way to play this one. And it's just gonna be what it is. I, I just I don't I picked very, very rare that I pick a team to win in a sweep in the playoffs. Pick Celtics in a sweep, and I have no reason to feel any different about that. I'm gonna put go out on a limb and say I expect JD Davison to get six points. <laughs> well, he can't play; he's a two-way guy. So, oh yeah, that was so, a city. Yeah. That was stupid. Yeah. That was me not thinking. Just okay, give it to Peyton Pritchard. Just say yeah, Peyton Pritchard. Yeah. The thing something. is, I knew that as well, but me just trying to be funny, <laughs> I put my foot in my mouth. Yeah. Uh, we'll go. Pritchard I could. I should have probably just. Like, well, we'll just change it to Justin Champagne. Anybody yeah, watching live, champagne. you didn't hear that. We'll change it in post. There we go. Yeah, we'll change it in post. Like <laughs> me just trying to be funny, put my foot in my mouth as usual. I do it a lot. And sometimes it's right face to face with somebody and they're just like, dude, did you just really say that? And I'm like, yeah, why? And then I, I click it through and I'm like, man, I'm so sorry. Yeah. So it happens to me all the time. Adam, uh, I'm in my mid-40s and my my family is still waiting for this to catch up to here with a filter in between. And it still yeah, hasn't happened. It, it so just doesn't At this happen. point, I've just given up on it. <laughs> At least we're older now and it's not this filtering through to this because Correct. when you're young. Yeah. So, you know, I'd rather just be a bit loud. Yep. With that being said, everybody, I want everyone to have a great Monday, Tuesday, if you're listening the day after. Enjoy game two. We'll be back Thursday, which means just before game three, if I'm correct, to kind of talk about what we saw. And then there's no need to talk about what to expect because it's just going to be more of the same. Celtics to dominate. Everybody have a great day. Keith, as usual, thank you for joining me, man. Absolutely.